Top of the morning, everybody. Everybody good? We're going to get going pretty quickly. You can get your worship guides out and follow along. And uh, follow also on version for those of you who have a, um, a device that we can follow along, a data device to follow along with us. A couple of quick um, plugs. Uh, as you know, Easter's coming. Just want to remind you again, uh, I know you're getting several reminders on this. It's just I can't stress how important it is to please get your tickets for Easter as soon as possible. We really, this Sunday is kind of a critical Sunday in our preparations because we don't have a lot of lead time. So if you could take a little extra time at the end of second service and get your tickets, it'd be greatly appreciated. Also want to mention that we have a all-access worship night the Friday before Easter. How many, how many have ever been to an all-access worship night? Okay. Uh, good and high. Raise your hand again if you've ever been to one of those. Okay. They're, if you've never been, they're awesome. Um, I don't know how to explain it really, but it's just, it's more of this and we just kind of, the ship takes off, basically. The plane gets lift. Um, and so I really want to encourage you to be there. That will be the culmination of a five-day fast before Easter. For those of you who want to participate, information will be forthcoming. Uh, but All Access Worship Night, Friday, Good Friday. It was Good Friday for us. It was a bad Friday for Jesus, but it was a good Friday for us. Thank God for Him. Um, that'll be at 7 p.m., so just stay tuned. We'll probably do a text. If you don't receive our church text, then you can sign up for that. I think that information is available on how to do that in our worship guide as well. Um, anyway, we're in a series called Dynasty. Everybody say Dynasty. Uh, let me just preface a few things. One is, I think if Jesus were teaching here in the flesh, uh, uh, on the earth today, right now, I think he would be leveraging culture to communicate to audiences. He did that back then. He, he, he used parables to teach truths, um, principles, stories, and things like that to be able to teach uh, the people that he was trying to connect with. And he did, of course, he was the best teacher, and he did it in a very relevant way. And so we just basically, I think, whether it be a movie, a TV show, or whatever, it's just kind of a modern parable. And so that's, so for your, if you're coming in, you're like, what is this all about? I heard about this TV show, Duck Dynasty. We're just leveraging some things from that show. There are some things that we don't support, we don't necessarily agree with, with this show, or any other things that we that maybe call attention to. So uh, as a, just a quick disclaimer, I want you to know that. However, there are inside, um, you know, some of these types of things, timeless truths or certain hidden values that we kind of like to lift out and sometimes bring a little levity to it. The, the Robertson family, uh, the Duck Dynasty family, has uh, kept, kept and captured our attention through this whole series, and I brought a clip every single week. Um, and uh, last week, we got to see Uncle Cy in the flesh you know, on his little, uh, you know, uh, scooter thing there with his back damage and uh, slash brain damage. But uh, Uncle Cy is, is, is going to be here again this morning. Uh, today's message is actually called Psychology. And so we're going to get a little dating tip from Cy. I'm not saying that you should subscribe to this. So this is my opening disclaimer for his dating tips. But let's just see what Uncle Cy has to say to you and I about dating in a modern culture. You can dim the lights and play that video. <laughs> hey, look, Martin, come on, your dream date awaits. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Hello, Martin, my name is Tiffany. Ty, you are the ugliest woman I've ever seen. Look, hey, beauty is only skin deep anyway. What are you wearing, Ty? Through the years, I've seen my Uncle Cy dress up like women. More than I care to mention. I'm fixed to tell the man how to sweep this young girl off her feet. By looking like that? Well, thank you. I think I look very nice myself. <laughs> Which makes me wonder. What, this old thing? This is the latest in fashion. For women. Where's he getting all these feather boas? So you start your deal with, you look at her eyes, and you say, darling, goodness, your blue eyes. They're like two lagoons on a deserted Pacific island. But her eyes are green. Well, say green then. Yo, know, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> I've been around the block, as they say, okay? And look, I understand and know what all the ladies like. Your eyes, they're so beautiful, I barely can breathe. Once you got her attention with adequate, then you gotta blow her away with words of enchantment. Even while you're eating, don't let the conversation die. Can I have directions? to your heart. You're like a magician. Every time you look at me, I'm talking, I'm under hypnotized. Somebody better call God. 
because heaven is missing an angel. She is the queen of Egypt. Ouch, my tooth hurts. It's because you're so sweet. Women, okay, they love to be yo good grief. Darling, you're on fire like donut grease. My, my, my. I don't see anybody writing that stuff down. That wasn't that good, you know? <laughs> I do, I do want to open by saying, uh, please um, consider taking notes today. Um, I really believe this is going to help some people out. Um, the last service, um, you know, I, I said this. I'm going to say it again. I actually don't feel like speaking this particular message, but as I got going, I got a little bit of uh, momentum about it. But I, I do believe this is just one of those particular messages that I feel is um, extremely pastoral. And so I'm going to do something that can help you. It's not going to be popular. It's not going to be one of those things that you're just like, you know, going to go and put all over your refrigerator bumper stickers and things like that. But I do believe this is going to help you. I'll preface this with just a little bit of a, a story that we can all relate to. Um, as I give you this particular story, I want you to look at it through the lens. Let's just say the last 20 to 30 years culturally, could actually go back further than that, but so much is changing so fast as it relates to the subject of relationships uh, that it's really hard to find an illustration that fits exactly where we are without being uh, completely uh, overly graphic. But um, we're going to talk about kind of uh, the single life today. And, and what happens a lot of times is whenever I describe a particular uh, person or persons that is, let's just say, the target audience, there's a tendency for the rest of the audience to check out. Uh, and I just want to challenge the married people. I want to challenge parents. I want to challenge, you know, um, uh, anybody that's in a relationship. This is for you, even though I'm specifically targeting singles, similar to what I would say when I and did say just a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to married couples. In fact, I think there'll be some particular things here that can help parents out and actually should wake parents up. And I particularly want to uh, challenge or exhort fathers. And so this is to singles, but please understand this is also an all play. Um, but I'll open with this little illustration. And I've used this before, just kind of um, morphed it a little bit. But think about this. Boy meets a girl. Boy invites girl on a date. Girl says, okay, I'd love to go. That'd be great. <laughs> they go out on a date, and girl spends uh, a lot of the man's money on the date. He, uh, you know, he didn't realize how much it was going to cost because she ordered appetizers, entree, dessert, drinks, etc. Boy panics and wonders if he's going to even be able to pay for it, so he just orders salad and water. And uh, she doesn't mind. She just continues to stuff her face furiously. And girl has a great time, uh, seems to enjoy all of it. He watches her, enjoys that. Anyway, it gets late, and they decide to go to a movie, um, Girl and boy are enjoying the movie, and, you know, the, the, the lights are kind of dimmed. And as they watch the movie, um, you know, there's a lot of flirting going on and this and that. And then the movie ends, and they drive home. And at the end of their driveway, and it's a time where she goes into the house, and he drives away, and there's a kind of that awky moment, what happens next. And um, girl and boy kiss. Uh, boy smells nice. Girl looks good. Uh, they kiss for a little while. Um, Girl realizes mom and dad are gone for the weekend, invites boy to come inside. Boy says, yes. And kind of, isn't that what normally happens? And girl and boy, you know, go inside and they decide to sit down on the couch, dim the lights, watch another movie. A uh, whole lot of uh, flirting's going on. They begin to kiss. Then they begin to do what really only married people should do. And, um, and at the end of that, uh, girl asks if boy wants to spend, you know, the, the night and she and he says, of course, yes, I would love to. And uh, this goes on. And again, they go on to do what only married people should do. And anyway, it all seems well. Uh, but eventually, girl and boy, you know, kind of get bored with each other, let's just say. And the boy actually decides first that he's seen another girl who looks pretty. And he breaks up with the present girl and breaks her heart. So girl rebounds and goes finds another boy who smells real nice. And the cycle repeats itself over and over and over again until one day... Um, boy and girl find what they believe is the one. Out of the billions of people on the planet, they believe they've found the one, and they decide that it's time to get married. Well, eventually, and you could fill in different numbers here, but let's just say somewhere around year seven, boy and girl start having problems. They conclude that they have irreconcilable differences, and they decide to get divorced, and they start looking all over again. 
Anybody ever heard a story similar to this? Why didn't it work? Uh, well, the answer is, and that's what we're going to talk about a lot today, we're, we're, they were doing married what they were doing their whole life but didn't know it. And here's the big idea, and I want you to fill this in your notes, and uh, it's, it's this. is how you practice. This is a principle that I hope comes through. We try to teach principles. But how you practice now, singles, is how you play later. How you practice now is how you play later. And I'm going to say some things, and I know this, and I'm okay with this from my perspective and from my experience and from what I see in the Scriptures. I'm going to say some things that a bunch of y'all, as my wife would say, are not going to agree with. You're not going to either like it, you're not going to agree with it, you're going to think it's kind of crazy, you're going to think that some things in here that don't apply to today. And I'm just going to beg to differ. And I'm just going to ask you to not just listen with your ears, but to open your heart and just think about this. Go away at the end of today and talk as a couple, talk as, a, as parents, and talk as a single person, please, to someone else, and dialogue about some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today. The scripture says in Romans 12, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. We're not supposed to be like the rest of the world. There should be a difference. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we're, we should be different. There's a peculiarity about Christianity. There's, 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 there's a, a scripture in Colossians 2.8. It says we shouldn't uh, base our beliefs and practices on the philosophies and the traditions of men, but only those things that are based on Christ. There, there is just a different way to do life and relationships in the economy of God. And the Bible goes on to say in Romans 12, let God transform you by changing the way that you think. And if I'm going to offer you anything, I'm, I'm going to offer you something that I hope will affect your thoughts. It'll affect the principles. It'll affect the ideas that are kind of going in there because it's more than words. This isn't information. This hopefully will be transformation for some of you. And are you ready for that? Only five people are ready. Are you ready for that? Okay. So let's just start by, by saying I want to talk about a different process, and then I'm going to talk about a different standard. God's way, as it relates to relationships, again, and single life in particular, is radically different than what we see in culture today. In fact, um, what we see in culture today is what seems normal is actually the new normal. It's not that, it's not, it's not been that long what we're experiencing now. In fact, what was happening before our new norm was going on for centuries, uh, let me explain. Um, the practices for singles we know today are really new. In fact, dating, for example, was introduced approximately in the 40s, the 1940s. Dating's only been around, you know, less than 100 years. The whole idea of dating. So I see where he's going. Just brace yourself. Okay, don't, 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 uh, don't, leave, don't leave early. Um, but it's only been around a little while. For centuries, customs relating to singles was totally different than what we see today. In fact, the commonly accepted practice was actually uh, one of a biblical order or Hebraic traditions. Instead of dating practices, which were at the sole discretion of the man to initiate, the father actually was the initiator for the girl. A massive shift culturally took place somewhere between 1920s and 1940s where instead of, the, of the, the father being the initiator, it was the boy who initiated with the girl. Very different. The father was both the gatekeeper, kind of the protector from any, you know, uh, the, the guardian of the girl's heart, and the scout. In other words, he was the one who would interview any potential candidates um, who thought, you know, they were, in fact, worthy. In fact, I have friends that have employed this kind of paradigm in our present culture, and, and, it, and, and I can just testify and say it's worked remarkably. The things that I'm getting ready to share with you, uh, I'm in process within my own family, and the things that I'm sharing with you today, I know people who have employed these kind of principles, and I'm here to say that they work. Honestly, I think today's system makes girls, in particular, incredibly vulnerable. The simple fact that a girl has to wait for a guy to initiate this process, to me, is actually terrible. Um, this is not how it was in biblical courtship in the past. In fact, it was completely opposite, directly opposite of what we see today. The man actually would have to prove himself to the father. He would have, he'd have to kind of pony up, so to speak, and, and access to a girl was denied until the father said it was okay. 
Now, it's all quiet in here, but uh, I'm going to keep going. But today, most, listen to this, think about this. Today, most dads would be more concerned about another man taking his car out for a ride than taking his girl out for a ride. I could have said that a lot of different ways, but you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, um, dads, I think we need to wake up and accept a role as a protector and scout for all of our kids. And I think moms play a significant role. I think there's roles that relate to sons and roles that relate to daughters. In my house, we have attempted to raise our kids this way. Um, We're in process. It's not done yet. Uh, We don't do it perfect. Um, My oldest daughter in particular, just speaking from a girl's perspective, um, is the only girl in our house who's actually dated. She's just shy of 21, Mallory. She's in Alabama right now. And even as we speak, there's a conversation coming about a particular person. And uh, very early on in the process, extremely early on in the process, and she's inviting her mother and father into the process. I'll get more into that in a little bit. And I can remember two summers ago when uh, she had, um, you know, a special friend. That's what we called him before he became anything significant, just a special friend. And in other words, he liked her. But there was no green lights from the house. And, uh, and, and she basically told him, you know, while we were on vacation, she invited him up uh, to where we were staying on vacation. She told him, you know, if, if this is going to happen, you're going to have to go talk to him. And nothing's going to go forward here until you talk to him. Now, that's foreign to a lot of people, but th- there, there, was a, there was a partnership between parent and child that had been fostered and developed over a significant period of time. Are you guys tracking with me? And so I can remember the atmosphere the day that he was going to be having the conversation with me in the cottage. It was icy. Everybody knew the conversation needed to happen. I knew it needed to happen. He needed to initiate it. I was waiting for him to initiate it. So I knew the conversation was coming. My daughter told me it was coming. So I went in the back room, put on a tank top, did 50 push-ups, <laughs> came out. They said, let's go, boy. And I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I did 100 push-ups. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... Um, we talked, you know, and, 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 and remember, in the conversation, there was a lot of interviewing, and there was a lot of ifs, if this, then. There was a lot of conditional uh, kind of connections about it, and, and, and I just want to praise my daughter Mallory and just say that she understood that. But it's sad today, but fathers and families, in my opinion, are completely uninvolved in this process. And, 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 and the, the decision, some of the, this is one of the biggest decisions in their life next to their decision to follow Christ is made. It's interesting that one of the biggest decisions in a person's life is made between two parties alone with little or no input from others of significance, and oftentimes it's made in the dark. The only real involvement in most cases, honestly, from people who could or should play a role, and I'm not saying I'll get to that in a little bit, but is related to the event, not to the relationship. So we're going to have a wedding. Hey, let's get everybody's input for a day, but we don't get everybody's input as it relates to the relationship, which is way more important than the day. And so in the old days, there were family problems, uh, just like there are today. And, and, and actually, the family was more uh, extended. There was more connections and more involvement. It was actually a lot healthier than it is today. And some of what I'm talking about is why. Uh, but there was also, if the biological family could not support or give the necessary input or guidance, then the spiritual family would step up in those situations. And, and you know that a lot of times we're immediately dismissing the uh, input of others because we look at our family and just say there's more dysfunction there, or they don't believe similarly, or because of da-da-da-da-da. That's why, that's why this family is so important. That's why you have to seek out sometimes uh, spiritual guidance and sometimes uh, spiritual parents and brothers and sisters. But the family would come along and play a strong supplemental role that the individual needed in the process towards marriage. And I can actually count on maybe two hands in 20-something years of ministry. Uh, my wife and I would attest to this, that, that, that have involved us in the process of their relationship as they go forward into marriage. But in every instance where those couples have done that, they stand above the new norm today in every category of relationship. I'm not saying it's because we're so great. I'm just saying because of the principle of inviting somebody else into the relationship process. 
And I'm not asking you to all ask me for it because I can't give all y'all that kind of help. I'm just saying we need people that are part of the process. Does that make sense? And so in the past, there were standards for relationships that were very, very high. And I'm going to offer you some of those standards today. And again, you can do what you want with them. Um, but, and you're going to probably think some of what I'm saying is nuts. But I'm just saying that the new normal is not working. The new normal is not working. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says this in your notes. It says, stop fooling yourselves. I got a song that's going through my head. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you will have to become a fool. In other words, what the world thinks uh, is foolish. It's not. It's not at all. In fact, it just looks that way. So you can become wise by God's standards. There's a different standard. And we're going to look at a scripture in the Bible, actually a text in the Bible. This whole book in this particular part of the Bible is a very steamy, steamy uh, book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon. In fact, it's a very graphic book. There's a lot of, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's got a lot of, um, uh, it's about biblical courtship, but it's very sexually graphic as well. But it really talks about the process from dating to, to, to mating, from dating to marriage, you know, dating engagement to marriage, I should say. And I want to pull one verse out from this particular chapter in the Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Are you still here? Everybody good? How many want a new series? Let's move on, Pastor. Can we move on? Okay, just testing you. Just seeing if you got So, all right. This is what I'm going to do with this particular, this particular book in the Bible. It, there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of symbolism, and I'm going to help you. For the sake of time, I'm not going to explain how I know this or where we find out, but I'm, like, I'm trying to unpack what some of these words mean. I think you'll see them when I say them, and, and you'll, you'll believe them. But Song of Solomon, in chapter 8, verse 6, it says this. Place me like a seal. Everybody say seal. It's a good one, girls, to circle, underline, seal. Today, that word seal would be translated things like a promise ring or a purity ring. Anybody ever heard that term anymore? It's, it's pretty rare today. You know, both, both my, my two oldest daughters have promise rings or purity rings. They initiated them, getting them themselves. I didn't even initiate it because, because those things are cultivated. It's almost like a garden. It just They wanted to do that instead of I had to tell them to do that. It's a long story as to how something like that could even be possible in today's world, but it is. But, but that's what this seal means. It's referring to a promise ring or a purity ring where they would wear, they would wear it on a chain and it would fall literally right over their heart. It was a sign that I'm, I'm sealed. That this it, it, Proverbs says, guard your heart. Out of it are the issues of life. So place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. They, they, this is what they're saying there. They were saying that it's till death to us part before we've even come together forever. In other words, before they even get married, they're already making a, a the predetermined commitment. They're moving into a defined relationship. They're the opposite of what culture is saying today. Friends with, with, with benefits. So actually, it's the total opposite of that. It's saying no benefits. We're committing before. We're practicing now what it will be like later. It's quiet. I understand. I understand. I'm going to have to live without the approval. But, but they didn't wait till they found the perfect one. They would commit themselves and save themselves for no one else. And, and, and they did it before ensuring, you know... Uh, absolutely being certain that this person was the one they were preparing themselves to be the one and it was and it anyway, placed me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm for love is as strong as death it's jealousy unyielding as the grave it burns like a blazing fire like a mighty flame there was almost like a marriage vow before they declared their marriage vows when they got married they were already living in a, a commitment, a covenant-type relationship, first with God and then being expressed this way. And I submit to you that this generation does something completely opposite of that. And we instead today, we have very fluid, loosely tied relationships. Um, and, and I have no judgment of anybody that's doing that because I've made a lot of mistakes in my own life. I'm just saying it's very different than it once was. Let's try it out. Let's check it out. Let's drive the car, test drive it before we buy it. Let's cohabitate. Let's practice together without commitment. The, and, and the statistics are saying that doesn't work. In fact, the destruction of the institution of marriage is, 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 is imminent at the present rate that it's going on, and people are just not getting married at all now. And so we instead to see, we see it very different. And I would just say, you know, I wish I had a whiteboard, uh, but let me... Try to, try to visualize this, but when, and when, I do some, when I used to do marriage counseling, we used to teach this thing called the love triangle. 
And it just picture a triangle, right? There's, there's different aspects to love. One of the aspects of love, on one, one wall of it, is the physical or biological side. Another aspect of love is the emotional or intimacy side. And then another leg of the love triangle is commitment, or this is the willful side. Now, what happens is in most relationships in culture today is people come in through the physical first, make an emotional connection, and then determine whether they're going to make a commitment. But, in, but before, the way God intended it, it would be a commitment, emotional connection, then you get the benefits of the physical. They're all connected. In fact, the physical is probably one of the most spiritual connections of all. The, the part where you fully give your heart over is a spiritual commitment, so that should be last. The, the willful side, the commitment side, is what a lot of times predetermines the outcomes of the relationship in the beginning. It's not loosely tied, it's strongly committed is what predetermines whether something will actually finish. Does that make sense? It's a very different order. You don't have to believe in it. I'm just saying that the order has changed completely. And maybe because the things are in a different order, is it possible that that has something to do with the progressive deterioration of marriage and family and relationships over centuries? So they had a strict warning for anyone who did live that way. Check this out. Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 8, it says this. This is talking about another girl. The first girl we already talked about. Here's another girl. We have a young sister, and it says, and her breasts are not yet grown. Did he just say breasts in church? Yes, he did. In other words, she is a developing adolescent, okay? Then it says this, what shall we do for our sister for the day she has spoken for? In other words, um, others were intricately involved in the process of her progress relationally. Ultimate day that she gets married, people were a part of that process. Then it goes on to say this. If she is a wall, circle line, underline that word wall. There's two key words I want you to see. If she is a wall, in other words, if she has guarded, somebody get her a drink. If she has guarded her purity, if she has put up walls around her to protect her purity, that if she has basically said, like the MC Hammer song, remember that, can't touch this? Nah, 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 nah. I mean, she's just kind of like, you know, she did the Beyonce thing. You gotta put, she, she put up a wall, okay? That's what the wall's talking about. Then it says, we will build towers of silver. In other words, well done on her. Uh, well, these, these, there's these walls. It's a good job, way to go. Then it says, contrasted word. It says, if she is a door, underline or circle that word. If she is a door. Now, do I need to help you with that one? Door. In other words, that's like, come on in. You want some of this? You want some of this? Oh, you, you, we're done. Can, how about you come on now? You come in now? It's just this revolving door. One guy after another. One girl after another. There's the difference between a wall and a door. You say, are you serious, Pastor? You can talk like that in church? I'm just saying it's in the Bible. I'm just saying that's where it is right there. Their, their response was, okay, if you lived like that before, then this is what we're going to do for you. This is what's cool. It says, we will enclose her. If you were a door, this is our job, church. This is our job, immediate family. This is our job, parents. This is your job, dads. If, we, if, we, if she's been a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. In other words, we're going to come alongside you. We're going to try to protect you and show you not a restrictive way, but a protective way. Everything that I'm getting ready to tell you, I honestly believe this from the bottom of my heart. It's just a better way. It's a better way. That's, that's how, and I feel I, as, a, as, a, as your pastor, I can't, I, so I sit and see so much crap when it comes to relationships. And sometimes I think that the church sits idly by. Sometimes I think parents sit idly by. Sometimes I think the, 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 the people who have more just sit idly by, and we watch people just literally destroy their lives because we don't want to shake anybody up. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to stick our finger in anybody's eye anymore. We don't want to say something sometimes that needs to be said. Amen? I think it's important that we put walls of cedar around people. And, and so then it goes on. It says this. It says, I am a wall. This is speaking of the girl. I'm a wall, and my breasts are like towers. There he goes again. He's using that word again. It's in the Bible, okay? So, so the, you know, Pastor, what do, what do you want us to say there? We, we can't say amen right there. That, that won't work. <laughs> Guys, don't say amen right there, okay? All right? Don't misinterpret that, all right? 
What do we do, you know? Nobody climbs it. This is a coconut tree. Okay, that's what that's saying right there. That's what that's saying right there. That's a translation. All right? So, uh, no coconut tree for thee. Uh, I am a wall. My breasts are like towers. That's actually a good thing. That's basically saying I, I'm a wall, and it's really hard to get there. Girls, are you paying attention out there? Okay? All right? It's very different today. Basically, we, we, we let everybody see our coconuts. Boy, you're going to have to bleep some stuff out on this. <laughs> Thus, I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. So when we become a wall, when we make sure it's a high tower to the coconuts, all right, then what happens is uh, it brings shalom. It brings peace or contentment. When girls and men, it has, it's both, both sides. When we're a door, it doesn't bring peace. Listen, I have... I, I have sat front row and center with people over 22 years of ministry. And I can tell you that when there, when there is shame or there is, there's confusion or there's disorder in people's lives, it's always sexual sin. Always. And I don't have to quote Bible at them. I don't have to bring out Song of Solomon. I don't have to be, the Bible says this and you shouldn't do that. I don't have to do that at all. I just say, has, has sex outside of marriage brought peace or confusion? You know what happens every time I say that? Usually the girls start to cry and the guys bow up. They get defensive. Because I'm right. Because God's right. Because God's right. And so what happens is over time we get callous. And eventually we, we get deceived. Now I have to say something about this just so that you know that I'm in this boat. I wish I, wish I lived by this standard when I was younger. My parents tried. In a measure, they didn't do everything perfectly. There was some legalism that made it not so perfect, but there was a lot of things about that they did that they tried, and it went a long time, you know. But but I failed in this area, and I, and some of the greatest problems in my life were in my relationships, and in particular in my marriage. And if it wasn't for truth embraced, also with grace embraced, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I have to. I have to be honest with you, sometimes when I talk about these things, even today at 40-something years old, it's still awkward to talk about it a little bit. I feel unqualified sometimes to talk about this thing because I failed in this area growing up, and I wish I hadn't. I didn't live in total purity. But if you're single, please consider what I'm about to tell you because a good parent doesn't have to live perfect to tell his kids how you should live. And, and it would be better. I agree. But it's still, this, this stuff works. And, and, and I was on the other side, and praise God, I'm on the other side now. But I'm calling. I, I guess what I'm doing, guys, as a church, and I really want to speak. You know who I'm talking to, but I'm calling you to a different standard. Not because God's trying to restrict you. Because it's just a better way. It's a better way. So here's what it's about. Three things. It's about, number one, preparation. Everybody say Preparation. Preparation is saying this, I'm making a commitment to God, I'm making a covenant to God and to my spouse that I don't even have yet <laughs> until I get married. Listen, we make commitments or covenants to certain things uh, in other areas of our life, but we neglect to do them in the most important areas. Let me explain. When it comes to parents, you do this with your kids. You are insistent that there is a commitment that your kids get an education every single day doesn't matter what's going on. I don't care, you know, what kind of, you know, t seasonal things that are going on, all kinds of stresses in life. The kid's going to go to school. My kids wake up tomorrow morning. You know, I get up. I say, kids, get up. Get out of bed. My father used to come in, and, and he used to pull the blinds up like, like, you know, the snapping kind. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he'd come out and go, boom, and they go, boom, just like that. And the sun will go, and just be like, you know, bats in a bat cave. You know, he'd be like, ah! You know, and then he would do this fake, you know, he'd and he'd sing the song, wake up, you lazy monkey, and make your living monkey, you know, whatever, something like that. It was horrible. It was tormenting. Dad, you don't love me. Yes, I do, because you need to, I love you by getting you out and getting you to school and getting ready for school. That's what a parent, a parent knows they need to do that. We do that in in education, we do that in certain skill development. We do that in sports. You know, you're gonna, you want to be a good basketball player. You want to be da-da-da-da. you got to go do this. But in relationships, 
Que sera, sera. It's whatever will be, will be. We don't take it very seriously. Most parents see the season of life, single life, as a time of preparation in other areas of life and insist on it in every area except in relationships. And so dating, just all about the fun, and then we kind of communicate marriage later will be no fun. And it's crazy. How do we prepare? Well, the answer is simple. It's, it, it's, it's not about going and looking for him. Everybody's out there like looking for him and we're, we're messaging a bottle and hoping that he'll write back and we're sending out signals and, and we're spraying ourselves with mountains of cologne and we're dressing a certain way. It's not about that. It's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Can I tell you? So, so a lot of times, amen, a lot of times it's about, we were saying this, certain principles in each message overlap, but it, who you are is who you attract. Yeah. Not who you want. Not who you want. So our issue, guys, girls, everybody, is we got to change us. Listen, if you women, gentlemen, are attracted to strength, I don't mean, I don't mean physical strength. I mean security. I mean, you know where you're going. One of the things that will protect a relationship and make a relationship be successful is a man on purpose. A man living on purpose. He knows where he's going. I want to get... Uh, that, that will draw the right person to you. Women, you know, overcoming that needy side where I'm waiting for my other half. I'm waiting for my soulmate. I'm waiting, you know, this 50-50 thing. No, you being whole is attractive. You being in secure relationships before you get into an ultimately secure relationship is attractive. Those will attract the right people. It's incredible how little effort we make in becoming the right person. We make a ton of effort in trying to find the right person. Again, how many are ready for a new series? Anybody ready for a Just kidding. All right. So the focus, again, is not on finding the right person. It's finding God and let him make us into the person that we're called to be. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. In other words, get close to God and, and, and let him shape and mold you. The God you, you serve and lived this way and behaved this way. Because life is not a dress rehearsal. Life is the real show. We get one shot at this. We don't get to rewind, do-overs, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus actually modeled for us. We only have a small portion of Scripture in the Bible that modeled for us his single life, so to speak. So to speak. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, um, this is kind of Jesus' single life from adolescent years to 30 years old, but it's packed with a whole lot of truth. It says, and Jesus grew. He was prepared. How? He grew in wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. wisdom. That's not just in school, but he, in other words, he guarded his mind from pollutants. See, we're, we're, we're not even thinking about some of the things that kind of are, are influencing us, some of the kind of things that are coming in and out of us all the time. It says he grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature. That's not getting tall. That's actually referring to our character. He grew in character. Character isn't um, made in crisis. It's exemplified in crisis. Character is made before crisis. First, we have to form habits, and then habits form us. And as parents, we're forming habits in our kids and pray it someday, some way, they'll actually start to make the bed themselves. We tell them, we love you, we love you, we love you, and then say, I love you back. And then one day they say, I love you, and you're like, oh my gosh, they love me. And we do that in all kinds of areas in life, but we don't sometimes do that in relationships, and we don't do that sometimes as singles in preparation for next to our relationship with God, the most important relationship in our life. We need to prepare ourselves, and we need to grow in our character, because character is doing what's right when no one's looking, and that has to be developed over time. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is referring to right relationships. So Jesus, see, you, you want to find a good candidate for marriage? You want to see somebody that has healthy, successful relationships. That'll, that, that'll, that'll narrow down the candidates pretty quick. What's their relationship like this way, and what's their relationships like this way? And I, I just think we got to get aggressive about this stuff. I think, dads, we got to get aggressive about protecting our girls with this stuff. Why? Because the world is aggressive about stealing them. In particular, their innocence. 
I've seen it happen so many times, it's not even funny. It's, it's nothing funny about it. So it's about preparation. Number two, it's about purity. Everybody say purity. purity. Some of you want to say, I hate this point coming up. Because <laughs> this always touches a nerve. Here's what I mean by purity. You need to make, you need to decide, you need to predetermine, make a commitment to, to, to predetermine what that's going to look like for you. How far is too far for you? I'm going to specifically talk about the physical arena. And again, I know culture is totally different on this. You are inundated with a different standard every single day through the media. I am competing against a tsunami of different information. I, I understand that. But you have to predetermine certain things. And I'm just going to share with you some things from my life and from the scriptures. But, but I, I remember when I, was, I used to teach um, Bible right here in this room to our Christian school. We have a Christian school. It's now in another building. But, but I used to teach Bible through kinder, kindergarten through the fifth grade which was crazy, by the way. If you can keep their attention, you're doing well. But actually, my biggest challenge was the middle school. And I used to teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And I'd have them for pretty chunky periods of time, and I got to the point where I really enjoyed it. But one of the things I didn't enjoy was the questions they would ask. And their questions would always come back around, it seemed like, all the time to, you know, temptation and sex and things like that. Uh, because, you know, the hormones were raging and pheromones were in the room at high capacity. It was just crazy. So they'd always come to this question, Pastor D, how far is too far? How far is too far, Pastor D? How far is too far? And I eventually just kind of come up with a real simple answer. I just basically said, whatever you're doing, that's too far. <laughs> that, that right there, that's too far. Yeah, that's too far too. Yeah, too far. It was just, it was just a simple reply to uh, you know, a common question. What you've already done is too far. But basically, we have to find a line. If you never cross the line, then technically you can get closer to it. For example, my, I'll just use my daughter. By the grace of God, you know, the, 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 all of them will finish strong. But my oldest daughter, Mallory, um, if she was a hypothetical situation, let's just say she was on a date and she was, uh, at the end of the date, she was in the backseat of a car after midnight, dark, Barry White playing in the background with a guy. This is, this is a terrible illustration, Pastor Derek. But let's just say that was happening, right? The likelihood of her crossing the line is really low because she's never crossed it before. Now, she keeps going up to that line over and over again. She's eventually going to cross that line. Are you guys tracking with me? So, so, but if you, if, but let's take myself. I put myself in that situation, and I'm in, on a date, and I'm up on Blueberry Hill. I'm going to bring it back a few years. And Barry, no, you know, Blueberry Hills playing, and, 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 and I'm in the backseat. I'm more likely to cross that line back then because I had crossed it before. Does that make sense? So, so it really is dependent on what your, your past determines your, your, future, uh, your future line. So you've you got to back up further from the line. You've got to back up further. Does that make sense to somebody out there? And so the best line, however is really not even thinking that way at all. The, I think the best line for sexual purity is to never get the process started in the first place. Because I believe sex is a process. It's not an event. It's not a singular act. It's not an animalistic act. It's actually a process. If you are on a marriage retreat with the best marriage specialists in the world, I'm just saying this isn't me. This is other people that I've learned from. They would say things like sex starts in the kitchen, not in the bedroom. You get the parallel? In other words, it's, it's, there's nonverbal, there's verbal, there's touch, there's different levels of touch. This is a process. It's all throughout the Bible as well, by the way, in Song of Solomon. And so this process that God created, by the way, because he's a cool God. I think God's pretty cool because God created sex. It's so quiet in here because sex and all these different words are being thrown around and everybody just doesn't know how to act. But God created sex. He created it for procreation. He created it for unity. And guess what? He created it for pleasure. But he put, he put, he put two people in the garden. Both of them were naked. That's a cool God. <laughs> amen. All the men say, amen. You know what I'm saying? So, but here's the deal. When the process was started, it was never meant to be interrupted. It was, it was meant that when this process was started, you could go all the way through because this will lead to this will lead to hubba hubba. This. Do you understand? So I don't know what starts that process for you, but wherever that process gets started, you need to back up from that point. 
Sex was designed to go to completion, and I challenge you to make a commitment and come to a higher standard. Um, you know, I was thinking about my daughter Madison. She turned 17 yesterday, bless her little heart. And um, I could, I mean, I could cry thinking about how proud I am of her, but one of the things that um, I was thinking about as it relates to her is if she can, if she can continue this process, and we, we do our best to uphold the standard, and God's grace is there if you fall, but if we can hold the standard, she's going to get to a place where hopefully she meets a guy. And maybe that guy kept his standard too. Wow, in today's world, that would just be unbelievable. But let's just say those two people meet. When they kiss for the first time, or they come together for the first time, both of them are going to think, he's the, she's going to think, he's the best kisser on the planet. And he's going to think, she's the best kisser in the universe. All right, are you guys tracking me? Now just, just, stay, just stay with this. That's the point. That's what God was trying to intend. Because here's conversely, when two people don't do that, then what comes in? Comparison. And what culture sells, sells to us is that comparison, it doesn't sell comparison, it says you're being educated. You need to learn this so you can be better at it. You need to try this out. You need to learn different techniques. You need to know if your, your chemistry's right and all those things. Bogus. Bogus. Because the, the foundation of a successful union between two people is not going to be based on that. So when you marry someone, I think it makes the, the relationship. See, let me say it like this. I'll, I'll use myself. I'll use myself carefully. Before marriage, that sex outside of marriage, it has an illicit quality to it, especially for those of us Christ followers. We have a little check that goes off and just says, ding, ding, ding. You don't want to be doing this. You know, woo. It's trying to, the Holy Spirit's trying to pull you back. And so what, what Barry, you, you just turn down the volume of the Holy Spirit and you just turn up pleasure. You turn up all these other things and you just kind of put it down there. What makes the pre-marriage, pre-commitment, uh, uh, covenant uh, sex enjoyable is whatever, is because it's illicit. It's the thrill, not the skill. So you're all excited about it. Now you cross the line, it's now legal. That which illicit is now permissible. You come over, and what happens, and this happens all the time, because I'm telling you, I'm, I'm on this side of it with people. Their sex life goes like this. It's supposed to go like this. And you know it. You know it. Some of you are going, yep, we've had problems with that. Yep, we've had problems with that. And it goes back because we didn't adopt a standard or a process that God wanted for us from the beginning. Determine when the process starts for you and take a step back from the line. Job 31 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. You can see Job's line was even at looking. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15 says, do not be yoked together. Or in the King James, it says, unequally yoked together. This is talking with unbelievers. This is saying, this is not saying people translate this wrong. They think, this is saying you can't have anything to do with unbelievers. That's not what it's saying. That's stupid because 1 Corinthians 9, sorry, I'm being really rough this morning. 1 Corinthians 9 says we're supposed to be winsome and supposed to do everything we can to win people over so that they don't, don't know God. It's talking about being out of balance it's talking about this environment or these people are more of an influence on you than you are on them. Don't be out of balance, unequally yoked. It's an adverb that's the unequally, that's modifying a verb, yoked. Don't be out of balance in that relationship. Otherwise, you can... And God was trying to tell us that way back in the Old Testament when he's saying, don't intermarry. It seemed like a big rule, and he's, trying, he's being ruthless, and he's being too mean. Don't intermarry with the other people. No, he was, he was not being restrictive. He was being protective because he knows once that happens, your belief systems are going to co-mingle, and eventually they're going to diminish and be diluted, and you're not going to know what you believe, and you're not going to know where you are, and you're not going to know your butt from your elbow. You won't know what's going on. And suddenly, what you believed over here now doesn't match your behaviors over here. And so we're just going to start moving our behaviors to our new beliefs because we've been influenced by other things instead of our beliefs and behaviors being one. But it has to do with our relationships. And so that was happening in the Old Testament, and that's what he's talking about here in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you tracking with me? So if you don't have the Lord in common with this person, the, the most important relationship in our life should be the Lord then I would say, doesn't mean don't relate to them, just don't surrender your heart to them. And I would say to you as fathers and mothers and spiritual family and parental figures and mentors, 
Do everything you can to protect their heart. Put walls of cedar around them. I think singles, you have to decide to marry someone who's passionately in love with God. You say, how do you know if they are? Well, watch them in church. What if they're not in church? Do I need to answer that one? Well, I, can, I think you can tell in the first 30 minutes whether they're in love with Jesus when you go out and have a bite to eat or do whatever, take a walk or talk to them or whatever. Can I say something else? This is even hard. Can you handle this? Can, can anybody handle a little bit more of this? Some, some of you can handle it. Some of you can't handle it. I'm going to say it anyway. I don't, I don't think anything really good happens outside of a group. Like, like there's, there's, this, there's this idea that we have to be alone by ourselves making the biggest decisions in our life all by ourselves. But I, I just think there's so much safety in groups. So I can't get to know them unless we're alone. Nothing statistically or historically says that that's true. Because all the statistical trends say that relationships are just going like this. Nuclear. Nuclear. I think you can't get to know him or her without other people. I think you need other people to get to know him or her better. And again, remember the love triangle because we go into the relationship the wrong way. Trust me, you want someone who loves Jesus more than you. Because this world is hard enough, and relationships are hard enough. And, and I think you need, to, you need to see that. And I think sometimes you need other people to help you see that. Because it, 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 and, and you say, well, I, may, I believe he believes it in his heart. I believe he believes it in his heart. I, I know it's in there. And I, know he, I know he believes. I, th- I, just, I, I know he believes. That, come on. It, your faith it, it is a personal decision, but it was never meant to be private. And listen, ladies, stop missionary dating. Do you know what that is? That's, I can save him. No, I can save him. I can save him. You cannot save him. You'll be dragging him the rest of your life. Okay? And, 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 and guys, this is to help you out. Girls, you know, I call it dump truck dating. Don't dump truck date. So you finally get a date. This, you know what dump, t- dump truck dating is? You got all these problems, and you're hoping he can fix them. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> You got all that, Jack? Hope you like me now. <laughs> Come on, right? I know it's tight, but it's right, okay? So, because the right people, they're attracted to security. They're attracted to strength, if I said before. And we just can't, we can't go into things like that. All right, next point. I got to keep moving. It's about pursuit. Everybody say pursuit. This is, about, this is more about the process and the plan to marriage. What's it going to look like? Okay, so, all right, I get it. Preparation. Mm-hmm. I get it. Purity. Got it. Okay, pursuit. What's the plan now? What can I do differently? I want to get practical with you, but you need to think about this as you're going forward. If you're single, who will be involved? Who's going to be involved in this? So if it's not just me and him and, 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 and him and me and we're, we're going to make it, if that's not healthy, if that's not good, okay, okay, well, what do I do? Who's going to be involved? Will your parents be involved? Not my parents. Whew, my parents are, woo, are you kidding me? I understand there's a lot of dysfunction out there. I understand that you might have different beliefs than they do. I, I get that. Well, then you maybe need to get some spiritual parents. Maybe you need to get some strong relationships, strong marriages, travel in packs. Do you know, if you, you might know some people that are, that are going through a divorce or got divorced, I guarantee you that a lot of their relationships around them that have their ear or that have their time, they also went through a divorce or are getting divorced. They always, there's, there's, there's statistics that support this, okay? So strong relationships and broken relationships travel in packs. You have to be intentional about getting out of the relationships you're in to get in the right relationships. And let me just tell you, it's hard to find healthy relationships. So you're going to have to work at it a little bit. I'm not going to candy coat it and make it like it's all easy. You're going to have to work at it. But if you will find a strong married couple, uh, maybe they're younger, maybe they're older, or both, that is going to be very healthy for you as you go forward. And you also should consider inviting them into your process towards marriage. And again, most people don't do this, but I see the difference when they do. You need to have somebody that's in your life that when they speak to you about something, their, their words have weight. In other words, you don't have to do everything they say. This, this is not about authoritarian. This, is a, this, this, is, this isn't somebody that just says something, you have to do it. This is about somebody that when they tell you something, hey, you need to think about this. I, 
I got to check in my spirit about this. I don't think you're ready right now. I don't think you're ready. Whew. You want to feel like this, like, uh, let's just say, let's just, uh, Mr. Fry uh, said, you know, that I don't, I'm not ready. And, that I, I, and you, you got to go way, that has to have some weight to it. If it's like, whatever, I don't believe that, I'm ready, then that's probably not the right person for you. Or you're not in the right disposition. Does that make sense? It's good to have people like that in your life. And then you got not only who will be involved, but what are my standards? What are my standards? If you're a girl, I think you want to have a guy. This is something I'm looking for with my girls, that a man has a purpose. Because purpose protects. Because purpose says he knows where he's going. I don't want to line my daughters up with somebody who doesn't know where they're going. Say, well, maybe he doesn't know his purpose. Okay, that's fine. Well, then we're just not ready yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give her over to you, give her permission to go over to your life, and you don't, you're, just, you're, you're traveling in circles. You're like a bird with one wing. Just keeps going and flapping in a circle. All right? I need a boy with two wings. Are you tracking with me? So, so who, who will be involved? What are my standards? Uh, why? why? I could go off on a bunch of different things. Because why didn't the other people involved? Because love is blind. Pastor John, do you know that love is blind? Like you can't see clearly when you're in love and the emotions are taking over and the attraction's high and all you can see is the good. Listen, we, do, we have surveys and tests for married couples and the primary objective of this survey is to deal with what's called idealistic distortion. What that means in a nutshell is rose-colored glasses because before people are getting married and the prepare for marriage, they see everything through rose-colored glasses. On the other side of marriage, it's like the eyes are open and the scales came off, Okay. But we're trying to get people to see what they can't, because love is blind. Ask any hunter if love is blind. One of the smartest animals on the planet is a deer. But yet a deer, when he gets overcome with love, slash lust, nose to the ground, nose to the ground, boom, on a wall. Dead. Because he's been overcome, because he's blind, he can't pay attention. A turkey who's got the best eyesight, as far as I know, on the planet, is going around, doing his thing, taken over by lust or whatever, and all the, boom, in my belly. <laughs> love is blind. Turn to your neighbor and say, love is blind. We need other people involved. Nobody can do this thing all by themselves, all right? 2 Corinthians 6 says, come out from them. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is what I want you to know. This isn't, please don't take this as a legalism message. This is going to be a bunch of rules and things, and now Connect's coming out with all these. That's not what I'm coming out with. This is a, this, it's a message of holiness, though. Holiness. There's some times where we're just, God is saying, not that we're better than everybody, but we should be better off because we're living at these standards. There's times where, and this is what can happen, and for those of you, get, you can get religious on this whole thing. People who are really into their physical health, we can get judgmental when you get really into your physical health and you just say, well, they're just not taking care of themselves and they're just not eating clean and they're just blah, blah, blah. That's what, listen, we should be taking care of our bodies as worship to God because my body belongs to God. It's a sign of worship. Make, make sense? The same thing is when we employ these kind of principles, this is not so we judge everybody else. That's not life-giving. That's not from the tree of life. That's from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is just something that we should be doing to honor God, to, to also be attractive and invitational for everybody else to want the same thing, not be driven by it or from it, but drawn to it. Does that make sense? So how do we start fresh? As I conclude, let me just say this. Don't, don't rustle yet. But when I was preparing this message, I literally saw people's faces. I saw, I saw people's, like, brokenness, you know. And, and, I, and I, I just thought, I can't address all the different things that I saw, but basically I just saw that, you know, people basically saying, Pastor, I agree, I agree. Or not everybody, but some people agree. But it's too late for me. I know I should. I, 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 know, I, I know, but I can't. I'm powerless to do that anymore. And, and I understand this because even to this day, even to this day, God, you know, 
you know, has to help me sometimes. But sometimes I still struggle with shame from my past. And what shame wants to do is keep creeping up to keep you back. But God doesn't want us to ever shrink back or go back to that old life. And so where, 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 where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So, so he, he wants to deal with that shame. Shame in the Old Testament, is, is just, it just means unworthy. The enemy tries to make you feel unworthy. And so what he wants, what God wants to do is right there in that moment where you feel that way, right there when you're, you, even what I'm saying, you're feeling, you're like, that's me, that's me, that's me. Right there. Right at that point is where God wants to, he wants to give you a bath. He wants to wash and cleanse that from you. He actually came not to just pay for your sin, the penalty of it. He actually came, and Hebrews tells us this, he came to clear your conscience. It basically means a bath of your mind. All those thoughts, he he can literally renew those thoughts. He can actually reboot and do like a system restore on your soul. He came to give you a clear conscience. He not only can do that, listen, I believe this with all my heart. I'm not selling you lies. He won't, he'll give you a sense of purity, a sense of virginity, a sense of, of just clean. That can happen by the Holy Spirit. Listen to this verse. I was reading this in a different translation, and then I moved into the paraphrase of the message, and it came out even stronger. Titus 3, 3 through 7, it says, It was so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior, Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all that. It was all his doing. He had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. Everybody say a good bath. And we came out new people, washed inside, praise the Lord, and outside by the Holy Spirit. And our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, eternal life. That's what this series has all been about, is living life to the max. But in order, he has to redeem that which was broken. He has to restore that which has been lost. He has to fix you know, that which has been just distorted by the world, and he wants to help us live a happy, happy life. But some of us just need a bath. And how do we do that? Well, here's what you can do. Three things. Just write this in your notes. I'll give them to you quickly. We have to confess sincerely, repent fully, and commit wholeheartedly. You can't pretend it's not sin. You have to, you have to confess it. We've taught about this so many times, but you got to get it out. And that's probably not the hard part for many of you, but some people we confess, we're compulsive confessors. We do, we do 360s, not 180s. In order to do a 180, you have to repent fully. That means you're going to change your direction. You're not going to go back to that old life before. You're not going to keep doing it the way you did before. But even more than that, you got to make a commitment to a new life, a new standard. That means you employ some of the things we talked about, about preparation and purity and pursuit. Do it different. And I encourage you to get in a small group and get connected to some other people or talk to a leader, reach out to some people that are in your life that you know God has put in your life. And it's not an accident, by the way. And maybe they're just waiting for an invitation for you to, to give them permission to help you and guide you through this next phase of your life as you pursue relationship, not only with him, but with others. Amen? Would you just put your notebooks away, your worship guides away, and... Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just all around the room. God, uh, this was a strong message. And I know it's hard for certain people to hear. But would you do what only you can do? Would you take information and make it transformation? Would you help us to see that our way of doing it, when we're kind of at the, the wheel of our life, putting you, so to speak, in the back seat, that ultimately that's not the best plan for us. It's not the best path for us. It leads to brokenness. It leads to bruises and bumps. But God, you have a different standard and a different process. And it wasn't meant to restrict us. It was meant to protect us and help us. Help us to do it, God. Give us the courage, Lord, to live at a different standard. Give us 
people to help us maintain that standard, God, and help us to do it without legalism or law, but life, liberty, and freedom, and seeing the big picture and the big win in it all. God, help us to, as a church, have grace, an abundance of grace for those of us who've fallen, which is probably most of us in this area. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today with every head bowed still, please. If you're here today and there's somebody that's just here and God's just touching your heart and you need to, you need to give your life to Christ today because in order for your relationships to work on a horizontal, they need to be fixed on a vertical level. You want to experience a vertical reality today. Can I just tell you something? For your eyes to open, it takes a step of faith. You've got to acknowledge that he is God. You've got to believe that he did what he said he did. You've got to confess him as your Savior and Lord. It's as simple as ABC. If you're here today and you want to give Christ your life today, you don't want to walk out of here without that surrender to that relationship, which is primary and paramount to every other relationship, and he's knocking on your heart, I want you to know something. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not an accident. Would you raise your hand and just say, that's me, good and high. Just say, Pastor, pray for me before I leave today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else missing? God bless you, hon, over here. God bless you. I see your hand, honey. All the way over in the back. Thank you, in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Church, would you pray with me? And those that raise your hand, would you just put your hand on your heart and pray this with me too, sincerely? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Of my own free will, I surrender my life to you today. I don't want to do life alone without you at the wheel of my life. I commit this day to do things your way, to live your standards. And I ask, God, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I can experience today your grace that was made available on the cross 2,000 years ago. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins, all of mine, the past, the present, and even the ones I'll do in the future. You died for all of that. By faith, I receive forgiveness in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for every person that confessed Jesus as Lord. I thank you that Christians are people who were forgiven. I pray that they'd experience a witness to their heart that they are saved in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you.